Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. You believe in it, go for it. Keep on, uh, keep on uh, knocking on walls. Don't be afraid of rejection. Rejection is only a word no, and oh means nothing to me. And no doesn't mean anything to me. You know, keep on, there's always a way. If you want it, there's a way. You gotta find the way. Don't give up. All right, welcome to another episode of Industry Standard with me, uh, Barry Katz. I'm very, very, very excited today about my guest, um, a guy who's been nominated, his films have been nominated for so many Academy Awards, you can't even count them, Mario Kassar, a guy who's a self-made man who uh, grew up and was born in Lebanon and... um, just an incredible guy. But before I get into any of that, I just want to do a, uh, what I normally do is tell a story of something that, that relates in some way to my guest. You know, a lot of times as, as the producers here, Sarah, Ari and Max will tell you a lot of times when I tell these stories, I don't really know where they're going to go. I don't know how they're going to end. Sometimes I don't even know what it's going to be. And Right before I came on the mic, uh, they shared with me, they said, you know, isn't there something that you could tell a story about a film you put together or something that happened that, you know, might be relevant? So when I had my own company back, I had an office on uh, Wilshire by La Brea. And there was a young kid who um, reached out to me all the time from New Jersey. His name was Josh Rofay. And he was a teenage kid, and he just really was this old soul who had this way about him that he just really wanted to make a difference. And his he loved uh, uh, watching uh, the first movies of people from Scorsese to, you know, Tarantino. But Scorsese and... And, you know, in movies like Mean Street and Taxi Driver, they meant something to him. And and the guy was really, really persistent. And he always would call me and email me and just and I always like to 
I don't know. I always like to take the calls and responses of young people who were trying to do something special because just something in my mind felt that it was the right thing to do and, and try to give whatever advice I could for people of that uh, age range. And I remember meeting with him and he gave me a screenplay called The Gray in Between. And this screenplay was a really, really dark, dramatic screenplay of the coming of age of a teenager and his friends. And I was a comedy guy. You know, I started as a comedian. I, I, I was always around comedy. I, I didn't know anything about drama. But there was something about this guy that, that was really, really special. And, um, and he had this desire and, and I just thought to myself, I gotta be involved with this guy in some way. And he asked me if we would help produce his film and get it together. And without even really knowing how to produce a film, I said, yes, I wanted to help him. And he said that he was getting $50,000 from his parents and, um, and he wanted to make the film and we hired a line producer to put together the numbers. And we found out that in order to do this, pulling every favor known to man, even with him as a director and an actor in it, that the budget would be a hundred thousand dollars. And I'd always been told by the mentors in the business like Bernie Brillstein never to spend your own money. Never put your own money into anything. But I guess I just, I didn't even have that kind of money really. But I just said to myself, you know what? I'm going to go for this. I believe in this guy. And I just basically... I remember I had a comedy club that was going at the time and, and things in New York that were going. And instead of utilizing money necessarily of my, uh, that I considered to be like money that was committed to things, I decided to invest money in this film and do it for the first time in my life. And... The line producer comes back and he says, listen, there's going to be 27 locations. Now, for those of you who don't know, 27 locations in a film is the kiss of death because every location you go to, every place you move to, it's just another setup, another tear down, more money, more trucks, more gas, more danger of an accident. Things happening. And... Also, I thought in order to do well with this movie, we had to find people who we could get to, to do it. And this guy was great in a room and he had like this way about him, even though he was 18. And we created this hype around this guy, like that he was some kind of like cool sort of something that Mario Casar has done throughout his life is sort of twist the truth at times to get where you want to go. And we built this guy up to be something special. We got him in meetings with people who he wanted. 
He wanted Amanda Plummer. We got him in a meeting with Amanda Plummer. He got Amanda Plummer. We got him in a meeting with Billy Kay, which was a really great actor at the time and had just done a really big independent movie. Billy Kay committed. We got him in a room with Natasha Gregson Wagner, Natalie Wood's uh, daughter. She committed. And then he wanted to have um, an elder statesman actor, a guy who was really well respected. He wanted this guy named Edda Ross. We got him in a room with Edda Ross. He got Edda Ross. And then he said, you know, so everything, he just wanted more and more and more. And these people had agreed to work for nothing, for like minimum wage. It was amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, I, you know, I, I can make a film. We can do this. This is incredible. And I thought the kid would be satisfied. I thought he'd be happy. But I remember he took me and he said, listen, there's one role I want. It's an older woman. You know, when I say older, like, you know, maybe, you know, 50 or something like that, 55, because all the people in the movie were, were, were younger. He said, I want somebody who's at least been nominated for an Academy Award. I said, Josh, you know, it's like we're doing a movie for $100,000. Like, what are you doing? And we're pulling every favor known the man. I want Ann Archer. I said, Josh, it's like, how, how, I mean, I, I believe that anything's possible, but how are we going to get Ann Archer? Get me in a room with Ann Archer. Get her the script. Get me in a room with her. And sure enough, again, the guy couldn't be denied. He just kept going and pushing, and he got in a room with Ann Archer, and she agreed to do the movie. And so here I was, my first feature film that I was ever doing, my company, and we were in a situation where we were moving forward with all these respected actors. And I remember this vividly because uh, a person working with me at the time, uh, Brian Voke Weiss, uh, in my office, he was a guy who was just, he was that young kind of person in Hollywood that was like a pile driver. Like he could, he wanted, when he wanted to do something, he would go and he would move. And there were like, there was paneling on either side of his, his head. And he wanted this so bad. He came to Hollywood in this area to make movies and to make great content and product. And this was an opportunity for him to do it. And he also like Josh would not be denied. And he put these things together and pulled all these favors. And he was like, he was tiring people that would help work on this film that would just were passionate and cared about things. And if somebody didn't do their job, they were gone and he'd bring in another person. And I'll never forget how naive I was about filmmaking. I came in the office one Monday probably around nine o'clock in the morning, nine 30. And there were like about 30 people in the office milling around and meetings and things like that. And I remember going over to Brian and giving him that finger, like, you know, come here for a second. We come here for a second. I go in my office. There's people in my office. There's people all over the place. I've like, take them outside. And I said to him, um, who are all these people? 
what are they doing here? And he looked at me and said, Barry, um, we're making a movie. We're making a movie. And when you make a movie like this, this is how it's done. And we shot the movie in probably less than 21 days. We did the 27 locations, only went over budget by about $5,000. And I was very, very proud of the movie, and I was very proud of what we did. But in the end, we got our audience. We had set up a showcase with Cassie and Elways, who was at William Morris at the time one of the biggest independent movie salesmen of my generation. And he set up a screening for the head guy at the Sundance Film Festival to come see our film. And I remember sitting in that theater in the back, looking at the movie and just seeing that one head of the big decision maker of Sundance. And... Even though after I saw the movie, I really didn't have the feeling about it because I was a comedy guy. I was hopeful. I was hopeful that the money that this young man put in would work. I was hopeful that the money I put in would work. And I was hopeful that all these actors and actresses that we got would help us sell the film. And I remember leaving the theater and getting back to my office and the call came in that the movie wasn't for him and the movie wouldn't make the Sundance Film Festival. And believe it or not, even though I had suffered like a bone-crushing defeat because it was the first film I'd ever worked on in my entire life and I just found out that the opportunity was lost and that was the big opportunity to get it distributed and going at the time it drove me to want to be in the film business more and want to figure out a way to be a producer on films and to and to get in that world and know that in some way I could have an impact on it. And I think if that movie had been really successful, I know it would have been an easier path. But I wanted to share with you guys that that crushing defeat motivated me so hard to be a better television producer to be a better film producer to be a better manager and it taught me the lesson that sometimes it's very important to suffer defeat because as I found in my life without it there won't be any successes 
Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. One of the things that I've noticed through this whole podcast that you do, which is fascinating to me, is like people throw out something to you. And instead of like going back and forth in the crate, you just stop it right there and you say, done, I'll take it. And even though you might be paying a premium you just cut through all the drama and bullshit and you're like, listen, I have the confidence in myself. So what if I pay a little extra? I'm going to make this money back. Yeah, because, you know, not every day you got to sit to do Terminator 2. So why am I sitting there and arguing for a week with somebody who might change his mind the minute he leaves the door? In fact, he did. Because I said, deal. I said, okay. I said to Peter, I said, Peter, make the paperwork. And obviously he had the blues of selling. Why did Mario say yes so fast? So he started... Now playing games, it happened that he was banking with the same bank I was banking in, uh, it was Credit Lyonnais in Rotterdam. And he started to play games a little bit, which was normal for him, unfortunately. So when I saw those games, I went to Rotterdam and I went to the banker and I said, uh, and I knew he was in the red and I knew Calco was in the black. And I said to the president of the bank or whatever in Rotterdam. I said, you know, he owns the right, he owns half the right of uh, Terminator. He owes you money. I offered him 10. He said, yes, now he's changing his mind. You're the only one who can put some pressure on him. All you have to do is take 10 from my account, put it in his account, which you needed is in red and put some pressure on him. It's not a white lie. It's a straight, <laughs> it's a straight deal. And that's what made him finally agree to do it. It was a bank pressure. Also, if you transfer $10 million into somebody's account, it's like you've cashed a check. It's like the deal's yeah, done. This is done. I said, just tell him to make the deal because you're in the red. We need them, you know. So that's how it had made the deal. But now I only own half. Can't make a movie with half. Well, you have to make a deal with Gail and her. Uh-huh. That's the second problem. So now, <laughs> now I have Arnold calling me, come on, Mario, you're the only one who can do it. I say, yeah, right. Okay. I mean, there's a limit to the checkbook, you know? But you're good with women. Yeah, I'm good with women, but uh, they all, every woman is expensive at a certain <laughs> point. And then, so Lou Pitt was her agent. He was at ICM. Good friend. Nice guy. Now, were you prepared to give her $10 million? Uh, No, I, I called him. I said, uh, Lou, what does it cost to get? Uh, the half and was for one sequel from uh, Miss Gale and Heard. He said five million and a credit. I don't remember what the credit was. If it's a, so produced by or I something. remember seeing her name on the movie as a she's credit, and I never understood why she, her name she, was on the movie. She's on the movie now. I know. And why. Obviously, I got blamed for everything, but it doesn't matter. She's on the movie. <laughs> she's on. She's on the credit, and I said. Again, Credits don't deal. cost anything. Deal. No, I said deal. Now she, she why why didn't she call that the other guy and find out that he got ten million? Well, I think she everybody knew I paid him the the, the ten or something. Well, if it's, if she and knew, why she, would she ask for five? 
I, I don't know. Don't ask me now why it was fired, but it was fired, but it's not finished yet. Now, now Cameron was in my good grace. He was actually in, we were, we, I, I had an overall deal actually also with, with James. And I said, okay, James, now we got your half. We got your ex-wife's half. We got Arnold on board. Who also wasn't cheap. I don't remember his number, but he was not cheap. And, uh, then James says to me, and by the way, I don't want anyone on the set, blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't, you know, if, I, if I'm if i putting all that money, it didn't mean me, but certain people, he didn't want certain people on the set. I said, if I'm trusting you with all that money and I'm writing you all those checks and this, it's because I know you're going to make a great movie. Me sitting on the set watching what you're doing is absolutely a waste of time. I do come every once in a while to look at things and, and, and keep the spirit up and whatever. But if I have to sit and watch what you're doing on the monitor, then maybe I shouldn't be hiring you. I should be doing it. I mean, there's, there's no reason you hire Cameron and sit to see what he's doing. He won't let you to, to start with and whatever. So now there was a condition that he asked me to do, which I don't want to go into details, that cost me two more million dollars to accomplish that. So now we're at $17 million for the rights. Can you tell our audience no, just a little? No, no okay. No, just... but it was $17 million. All right, $17 million. Then there was another, <laughs> it was working on the effects another $17 million that I financed. So now you're at 34 million. Yes. Now we looked at those effects and you've seen them in the movie, you know, the morphing, yeah. uh, all that. I mean, we're talking 25, or I don't know how many years ago. That was so much ahead of their time. I mean, that's, that is really genius time. And then of course, now we make the movie and the budget, I think if I'm correct, Maybe it was one ten or one one something. Whether ten, one, I don't know. And that was the largest budget you'd ever done in your entire life. On, the CNN news was was everybody was talking. I about believe that. that was the first hundred million dollar movie budget. Yes. Correct. Yeah, I mean the first ad officially admitted. That. I don't know what the studios do. They <laughs> never, you never know that every studio movie is ninety nine, ninety eight. You know, you don't know their 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 budget. You must be like losing your mind because like if 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 things go wrong, it's over. One movie, it's over. But I don't think this way. You never have a negative thought. I don't think this way. I mean, I've seen The Terminator. I know what The Terminator is. And I knew it was going to cost more money than uh, than the first one. I mean, already the rights were <laughs> twice the budget of the first one. Uh, and then that uh, costed so much. It costed so much. How much money did the movie make worldwide? Oh, God. I, I think it was five hundred million. Five hundred yeah. million. It was the first. So, yeah. It was the first five hundred million dollar yeah. grossing worldwide movie right. of all time. And of course, all of a sudden, you know, success has many fathers, and everybody took credit for it. Of course, but there's no. All they were all destroying me because I'm financing the most expensive movie. Blah blah blah. Uh, they changed their tune when it made five hundred million worldwide. And no, there's no such. No, they still have. They have this boilerplate when they don't like when somebody does something. You know, they have that. They come in and that put that boilerplate in, which is okay. I'm used to, I'm immune to it anyway. There's no such thing as all of a sudden, Mario. It doesn't matter what people think. You know, it's what's important for me is how I feel about the things I've done, my accomplishments. I'm happy with the movies I've done. And I, some movies I would have preferred to be a little different here or a little different there or, or, or grossed more or whatever. 
But if you take all all the movies I've been involved in, three billion dollars yeah, worldwide. It's, it's, yeah, it's not. It's pretty good actually. But I'm sure there's been a time where you got to tell me sometime when somebody said something to you that got to you and you were like it affected you and you were like it, it, it you say you don't care what anybody thinks but was there one time where somebody said something where it just really really got to you and you went home and in the fetal position on your couch and and you know and just said why am i in this fucking business well i mean it, in, in every movie i did every time i, I would okay move, green light a movie and the budget is this or, or the stories start you know going around in circles saying this and that mario this mario that mario spending mario i mean we got a boat in Cannes, crazy mario spending money in Cannes, blah 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 now if you go to Cannes, everybody has four boats next to each other selling movies so when I took a boat, it was all very calculated because either I put people and I get them 12 suites at Hotel du Cap at $2,000 a day and God knows what they spend in room service and phone calls, or I put them on the yacht and I have them all under control and I see them and I feed them. So it's all perfectly calculated. Uh, you buy a plane and you say, oh, here again, he's buying a plane, the, the big spender. Yes, but they forget one thing that if I have to take Arnold or Sylvester or Mel Gibson on his tour, world tour, and I have to hire a plane at two hundred, three, four hundred thousand dollars to go here, by that time I could have bought three planes. So that plane was used also for this. So it was everything had a reason. But you know, being on the outside, they don't really look at the real reason. They look at the outside image, the big spender, the crazy guy, the blah blah blah. In the meantime. Look at the studios, planes, trains, automobiles, boats, you name it, they have it. It came a long way from the booth number 41 in the exhibition hall. Yes, but those were the actually, you know, sometimes you 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 miss those nice little days <laughs> when you're like, you know, trying and when it was more difficult, let's say. Uh, basic instinct. Yes, again. Tell destroy. me a story around that. They destroyed me in town because I got a call from an agent called Guy McElwain, 7.30 in the morning. He says, Mario, <laughs> I have a great screenplay for you to read. You're the first one, 250, and you can have it. <laughs> and of course you said, I don't have to read it. I'll pay you the 250. No, no, no. I said, send it over. Okay. And I got it by 8.30. 9 o'clock, I call him back. <laughs> or 9.30, I call him back. He said, oh, I'm at the airport on my way to Hawaii. Uh, talk to Jeff Berg. Because he was ICN. Jeff Berg, of course, was the president of ICN right. back then. Now he's the president of Resolution, the new agency that just opened up here in town, right next door to me. Right next door. So I called Jeff, and Jeff said, uh, well, you know, since we started, we already have offers. We're at 450 or 500. I said, wait, wait a minute. I got, wake <laughs> I got waking up at, at 730 in the morning to tell me, read this, 250 is yours. Now we are at 450, 500, it's not even 10 o'clock. What happened? I said, well, you know, everybody likes the screenplay now. And everybody, I said, okay, so it wasn't given to me like this. I was used in a way with my first offer if I said yes. Then you go and say, Mario paid this, whatever. So they started like auctioning it. <laughs> quarter, quarter to six or 10 to six. <laughs> I got a call from Jeff Berg. He said, we have an offer for 2.750. I said, excuse me? 2.75 million. 2.75 I said, Jeff, do you remember the 2.50 of nine o'clock this morning or 8.30? 
He said, yeah, but what can I tell you? It's 2.750. For a script. And from who? From my ex-partner. Because at that time, I was no longer uh, with Andy Vina. He, did his, his, he opened his own company, and he also was after the screenplay. But it started with me. And actually, he was not like doing it on purpose. He wanted it. He was starting his company. He wanted uh, this screenplay. I said, Jeff, this has been a long day. I'm from 250 to 2.750. Now, if you think after all this, I'm going to lose this screenplay <laughs> for $250,000. <laughs> now, tell me what is it when, so I can hear the word done, close. He said, three million is you. I said, oh my God. I, said I want to hear it one more time. <laughs> He said, three million is yours. I said, three million is yours. <laughs> and I closed the deal. And I don't have to tell you the next day, the variety, the blah, the blah. You paid $3 million for a, for a script, for a spec script. But nobody attached. No one attached. No. That, that was the largest amount of money ever. Ever. Ever paid for a yes. script. Yes. <laughs> yes. But actually, it was a good investment, wasn't it? It was wonderful. That was the only movie in the history of my movie-going life when I had to get up from my seat and I was pacing in the back of the theater, just walking back and forth because I was so anxious and uncomfortable. And it made me reevaluate every relationship with a woman I ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Chaplin. Yeah. Tell me about Chaplin. Let me tell you the real reason that very few people know why I love so much. Besides, he's a genius. I kind of saw myself a little bit Chaplin was the misunderstood guy in America. He was the foreigner, came here. I'm not considering myself a genius, but he did his, his, his wonderful work. I mean, sometimes it took him two years, or if not more, to, to make a movie. Did his own first studio with the That's other right. actors, whatever. Was thrown out of the States. That's right. Went to Switzerland, and then they begged him to come back for the award. And he said no, didn't and he? he didn't want to come back. But then he said it was a very fascinating scene at the end when he's when they're running the movie and you see his tear and and whatever. And I felt those were the days where I felt like God, I've done so much here, and everybody's fighting me. Everybody's against me. Everybody's is like the underdog. They're only against you because you're winning. Whatever the reason is, so it kind of like I felt it's I related in a way to the story indirectly. So, plus I liked the, the whole idea of making that story. That movie was at Universal with Lord Attenborough directing and they wanted Robin Williams. And, and Attenborough came to see me, like out of his mind, he said, and they already spent like 17 million, some, some amount of money building sets and everything. And he says to me, he said, I, I, I don't understand. They want this, I can't do with this. I said, well, okay, relax, relax, relax. He said, I want Robert Downey Jr. And I shot a scene with him, I want you to see. And he showed me the the beginning of the movie when you see Robert Downey Jr. taking the makeup, whatever. And I looked at that. I said, my God, this is Chaplin. Why would you, with all due respect to Robin Williams, I said, this is Robert, this is Chaplin. This is exactly perfect. I want to do this movie with Robert Downey Jr. I'm but staring I, across from the guy who said no to Tom Cruise and Robin Williams. Well, I mean, it's not a question that they're not good actors or, or they don't know. It was a question of the look. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Chapman and you look at Downey in it, it was perfect. And I had to make a deal with Universal, this and that. 
and I greenlit it with uh, Attenborough, and I did it, and it's probably one of the very close to heart movies that I have. Amazing cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Everybody told me, do not touch the snow. No movies with the snow work. Snow is no good. Snow is see. no good. Snow is no good. Na 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 na. Somebody in the old days, I don't remember, I think it was John Ford, maybe he said, if they tell you go left, go right, I guess that's me. I like Cliffhanger. <laughs> and I was in good business with uh, Stallone. I was lucky with him. I was making money with him. It was great. Because you've done like three Rambo yeah, movies. And... Exactly. And I liked Renny Harlan to direct it. And I said, let's do it. Snow or no snow. I don't, well, so what snow? <laughs> and it's all about these relationships that you keep. Yeah. Why beside. would people say, oh, no, let's not make it snow? What does that mean? Well, that was another movie where the opening of that movie just completely... The first 20 minutes of this movie, everybody was like on their... 20, the first seven minutes. I mean, it just was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, I can't, couldn't believe that a movie was starting yeah. with somebody like you, you thought was the main character. Yeah. You felt the love between the two characters. There was a lot of tension at the beginning. It was amazing. Incredible. When we went to the premiere in Japan and there was the princess or somebody from the royal or emperor family in, uh, who came to the screening. And after the beginning, when the, all the tension started, this and that, I think I, I think she fainted or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a big thing, you know. They had to take her out and this and that. It was a was a. I was very happy with that movie. Actually, it was a pretty good hit. It was great. And just uh, one last movie I want to ask you about: uh, uh, Stargate, mm -hmm. which was a movie that wasn't normally in your lane. Because it was more like of a huggable, lovable science fiction kind of movie. Well, it was. I tell you even. why it was because I'm a big, big fan of anything of ancient Egypt. So when I hear Stargate, when I hear about the pharaohs, when I hear all those things, you see my eyes opening, and I want to do something always about this. So when I was told the story of Stargate automatically uh, plus you know roland i did with him uh, universal soldier before and i was going to do other things with him i i like the idea of stargate and uh, very funny because uh, it was financed by a french conglomerate called canal plus uh because in those days calco was not in its best financial uh, situation so we needed some names again, and I called uh, the agent of Kurt Russell, because they like Kurt Russell. I like him too, actually. And I said, is Kurt available for Stargate? He said, yeah, yeah, he's available, but he's expensive. The minute I call somebody, he's expensive. You know? <laughs> so I'm used to the expensive now. And I was asked quite a big number, and again, it didn't take long to say yes, because it, it, you know, you say yes to something and instead of arguing the million or the half a million or the whatever, it moves the, the it moves the process because you can spend month arguing and then the movie can go sideways. And I didn't want to do that. So we got Kurt Russell, then we got uh, James Spader, and then there was the other part. And I got this idea, there was an agent who now has this big company as a producing called Bill Block. Yeah. And I said, Bill, there's a guy who was in a movie that the Weinstein brothers did where he was a, a, you think it's a girl, but it's a guy at the end. Crying game. Crying game. 
I said, I don't know if he's an actor. I think that was his first movie. I don't know who represent him. I don't know where he is. I know nothing about him, but impress me. You go get him. I'll give him a million dollars. I'll give you a million dollars for him if you can deliver him to me. And I got to give him credit. He heard the million. The guy was in London. Where, I don't know what he did, but he brought him. <laughs> he put him in the movie. And obviously, again, Mario, Mario, Mario. But I think he was perfect for the movie. Because that part, he was, it was like an androgynous kind of uh, looking guy. Yeah. He came with a lot of problems too. I mean, I didn't know this guy had this problem or that problem, but he, but every actor has some problem. It doesn't matter, but he was perfect for the role. And at the end, the movie's made and it has some subtitles because they speak that their own language. I remember showing it to some studios and I said, you know, they all like shrugged their heads and ah, we don't understand that, 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 that. I said, you know, but that's the beauty also of subtitles. When you don't understand the language, and if there's any hole here or something, you can fix it in the subtitle. Anyway, at the end of the day, we we put it all together, and Roland did the best job possible, and between the effects and everything, the whole thing just fit perfectly. Frank Mancuso was running MGM in those days. He took it. We made the screening. They all liked it. And they were all estimating the weekend to be maybe a $7 million weekend. So, you know, like Friday at four o'clock in the morning, you know the exact number. So, of course, that Friday, I was waiting for a phone call at four o'clock in the morning. And then in those days, I had somebody, I don't remember the guy who was working for me who called me or somebody from MGM. He said, you ready for this? I said, oh, my God. That that's when you when you are you ready for this? <laughs> it's too, it's uh, very good or very bad. But you know, after all what I heard, I was expecting to be honest with you, like bad. He said this movie might end up doing seventeen million dollar weekend. I said, excuse me. He said yes. Now I couldn't sleep anymore. Seventeen million dollars, great. <laughs> and of course, it was a hit. And the French immediately jump in France and they make this whole thing about Canal Plus and they put it on the front page of their TV guide or whatever kind of police guide. And uh, there was many, many TV series, many Stargate 1, Stargate 2, and a lot of things happened on television after that. That's right. Yeah. All right, final few questions here. Tell me the greatest piece of advice that you ever got from anyone in your career. There's one I kept on hearing a lot of time is like don't be like you know because sometimes i could be very stubborn and like a persistent like we said they tell you when everybody tells you you're drunk you better sit down like say that one more if, time if, if everybody tells you you're drunk sit down like if everybody tells you something is wrong you better listen uh that's a good advice i think if a lot of people say the same thing to you then there must be something but everybody was saying to you that you were i didn't mean i didn't say i did listen I said that was an advice. Got it. Okay. I don't know if what other advices they gave me. I don't overspend. Don't do this. Don't. I don't know if I ever listened to any of them. I don't think you did. No, I don't think. So. <laughs> I don't think so. I can give one advice, which you started this: that if you have a passion, if you believe in yourself, and don't give up, just be persistent. Keep on knocking on the wall. Till you get it done. And if it doesn't happen now, it might happen later. And if it doesn't happen, it wasn't meant to happen. But I don't think anyone should give up. I agree. Your proudest professional moment. 
but uh, maybe Terminator 2 because they were all after me. I mean, from the news to Wall Street to lawyer. I mean, every, the whole world was on my head. And then to prove everybody wrong, so well wrong, was a nice kind of uh, thank you, goodbye, I'm right, you're wrong, or I got lucky and thank you, whatever. Does anybody ever come up to you after they publicly humiliate you before things go? After it all goes well, does anybody ever come up to you and say, you know, I'm sorry, Mario, I, I said those things in the newspaper, I said those things in the magazine, or I said those things behind your back, I was wrong. Does anybody ever do that to you? I don't think so. I don't think so, nor I expect it. I don't, I don't expect anybody. I mean, people can say whatever they want. They don't have to apologize. They're free. They can think whatever they want. It doesn't, doesn't really affect me much. What's your biggest disappointment professionally? It's how the business changed. It's now, I mean, in my days, in all the movies I've done. Well, in your days, you just go to a bank with your godfather no, and say, give me 80 million and no, they give it to No, you. but it's not a question of money. It's a question of people were having fun and enjoyed making movies. There was a passion about movies. There were movies being done. Now it's corporation, accountant, shareholders. It's it's numbers. It's, uh, you know, we got to make two blockbusters for the summer. We have to do this. We have to fit in. It's no longer about what the movie is. It's, I don't know, it's a formula. It's numbers. It's, there is no passion, uh, passion in movie making anymore. I, I mean, some do. But it's not like in the late 70s and the 80s. So when you see a movie, let's say like Precious, you don't think there's passion in a movie like that? Yeah, some movies that still have, uh, there's, there's a lot of movies that are being done now, done out of passion. I mean, I, I read something on like on the butler, how long it took to put that movie together, how many people were involved. That is so rare that it happens. But those are good things that used to be. That's how the film business used to be. People believed in it, did everything to make it happen. And they enjoyed making the movie. They enjoyed actually the, the process of it. So if the business has changed to where it's not enjoyable anymore, why are you still doing it? I'm not doing it as much as before, obviously. Mario, you're flying all over no, the fucking I'm, world. I'm, it's I'm, craziness. Yeah, but I do all the different kind of things. Uh, I'm doing it my way because first of all, I do not belong in the studio system. I've never, I stayed at Paramount maybe three months and I left because I do not understand the system. When I have to have somebody with all due respect, an executive, whatever they call them, where they start <laughs> discussing the screenplay and they tell you, yeah, but the character or this or that, or I, I don't understand what they're talking about. And I said, okay. And I look at them, I said, have you done any movies? No. Okay. So thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> So I do not understand that system. So I belong to the independent system. So you still do, yeah. And I still do. So and unless and I, I'd rather spend five years working on something that I believe in and I make it independently. But of course, you need the studio to release it here, because you know they do monopolize. It's it's a monopoly. You got those five six studios, and they manage after Carolco. If you if you think about it, a lot there were a lot of independent companies. And slowly, slowly, they were bought by the studio. They kind of like took them over. Because they, they realized, wait a minute, those little companies are doing something we're not. So we might as well 
either get rid of them or buy them and create our own smaller, you know, tell me independent. A, tell me a movie that you wanted. You wanted it bad. And you, you, which rarely happens, lost out on it and it became a huge hit. It was a movie. It's a very interesting story. I was in Thailand and I was preparing a movie called Lolita with Adrian Lyne. And then Roland Emmerich had a screenplay called Independence Day. And because I did some movies with uh, Roland, Linwood Spinks, who used to work with me uh, at Caracol, called me and says, Mario, there's this screenplay called Independence Day. Everybody's after it, but Roland P is like, you should, you know, give it, give it uh, a look. I said, send it right away to Bangkok. I get it. I read it. Now I have this financier in France, a uh, very wealthy guy who owns theaters and all kinds of things, who's financing uh, Lolita. He spent some money already on it. We had Adrian, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm reading a Roland Emmerich, something called Independence Day. And I pick up the phone and I call Paris and the guy was in his car on the freeway in France, in his little French car. I said, uh, I need to talk to you for a second. He said, hold on, I'm on the freeway. And you know, when you like take a stop for a second, I said, I know we're doing uh, Lolita. I know we spent so much money. We can either pick it up later or write it off, whatever. But there's this thing called Independence Day. I think the budget was in those days, 60 million, I'm not so sure. And I really want to do this one. And he said to me, well, let me think for a second, for a minute. I think it was the longest minute ever, <laughs> ever. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And he says to me, well, you know, Independence Day might go over budget. I said, yeah, it will, it will probably go over budget like every other movie. So it, it's not 60, 70 or 75, whatever. But it is a very commercial movie. Roland will do a great movie. Lolita is a very limited kind of thing. You're remaking a Stanley Kubrick thing. It's, it's, it's a, it would be a great movie. I believe in it, but it has a limited audience in a way. French decided, you know what? I think Lolita for us, blah, blah, blah. That is like a big knife came right through me and I had to respect his decision and I had to say, no to it. I didn't even finish saying no to Independence Day. Roland was in Fox's offices. They made the deal in about not even a, a second. Well, why didn't you just go to more financiers? Some well, other I, couldn't, I, had, I had 20 minutes to decide. I read it. I oh, had, you had 20 minutes. I had, they gave me this respectful time to decide. And I had this guy in France who financed the movie. And I was telling him, do me a favor. Do not spend the 40 or the 30 or whatever it is on Lolita. Let's do Independence Day. So, and so, so it wasn't a Jeff Berg 20 minutes. It was a real 20 minutes. No, no, no. That was a real 20 minutes. And that is, that's a big disappointment actually, because that, that was a big hit and a fun movie to watch and everything. It was great. It was great. Actually. Um, all of your stories are drowning in the ocean. You can only save one that's your like, holy shit. This is the highlight chapter of my book kind of story. Any crazy thing that happened to you with any artist or actor or director or anything, anything that 
you would want to tell our audience that uh, you, no one would believe that it happened to No, I have to think about that. Honestly, right, right on the top of my head. No. Uh, no, there's too many things happen with all the actors. I mean, it's like a never-ending story. On every movie, there's always something. Every actor, there's always something. So it's kind of unfair to come up with one and even if I know anything about an actor, I, I just wouldn't go and, and gossip about an actor or a director. I mean, it's not right. And that's well, that would be only my version. God knows what his version is. So, you know, everybody, when you make a movie, at the beginning, it's wonderful. You have lunches and dinners. Everybody loves each other. Then you make the movie, everybody hates each other. <laughs> and at the end, you open the movie. If it's a hit, you re-love each other. And if it's a miss, they hate you again. So when you talk about movies 20 years later, it's like, it's, it's history. Who remembers? It doesn't matter. Last question, and you're out of here. What advice do you have for the young producer who is living in an apartment with her girlfriend, with the parents living upstairs, or in a studio apartment, or just living check to check, but has the dollar and a dream and wants to figure out how they can have the kind of career that you have and make the kind of content that you've made and been nominated and won so many Academy Awards for the films you've worked on. What advice do you have for that person starting out to, to be able to go on that journey I and be successful? I, I think I kind of answered you that about the persistence, whatever, but I also co-financed the movie because Universal was scared to fully finance the movie. It was called Field of Dreams, which is not, probably not even in my... Uh, One of my favorite movies of all right. time. And it says, if you build it, they will come. So if you believe in something, just keep on at it. Do not give up. That really, I really believe in that. It doesn't matter if years passes. If I, I mean, it was, you know how many years before I got first, but it was for 10 years. They wrote 10, 10 13 different screenplays. So you believe in it, go for it. Keep on, uh, keep on uh, knocking on walls. Don't be afraid of rejection. Rejection is only a word no, and oh means nothing to me. And no doesn't mean anything to me. You know, keep on, there's always a way. If you want it, there's a way. You gotta find the way. Don't give up, basically. Well, uh, Mario Kassar, Thank you so much for coming here. It You're was an, more than welcome. It was an I honor. I kept my word. I told you I would come. You did keep your word, and yes. and and I tried to be as persistent as I know you are. And no, uh, but you did good. No, I'm glad. I'm actually. I don't. I've never done this in my life, so I have no idea. I'd be, I'd be the first one to admit, I don't know what a podcast is. I have no idea what any of this is. But that's okay. But you know what I noticed about you? What? You enjoyed yourself. and you. No, yeah, because, and, you know, you took me a little bit through memory lane, which usually, uh, not every day I do that. And I usually don't, there's no reason for me to go through memory lane. I mean, I walk in my house, I see memory lane everywhere. So, uh, but there's too many stories, you know, it's like... Uh, 25, 30 years of career is hard to do it all in one hour, obviously, but you get the essence of it. I mean, you knew exactly what, what you wanted me, what you wanted to ask me or what you wanted to hear. And I really hope that every young person that is listening to this, that have dreams, that they want to arrive, do not give up. Never give up. Whatever your profession is, whether you want to be, I don't care, a science, 
a doctor, a dentist, whatever it is, a painter, but especially in the movie business, because the movie business is such a, a non-tangible business. It's all in the head. It's all in the, in, the, in the brain. And it's all about timing, luck, people, and gut feeling. I do believe in gut feeling and instinct. I really do believe in that. You can read everything in the world, and sometimes something tells you, uh, and something tells you, yes. So follow your gut feeling. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This You're more than welcome. Awesome. Thank you all. And again, I'd like to thank my first sponsor ever, Global Cash Card, for free paperless payroll, saving your company thousands of dollars at globalcashcard.com. All right. And as always, if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. This is Barry Katz with another episode of Industry Standard. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I've partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, 
I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.